Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. guys welcome back to becoming buffy today we're talking about one of my personal favorite episodes i think for the longest time this was my favorite episode of season three and now that we've kind of gone through each episode i'm like it's hard i don't know if i can pick one it's hard because i really feel like in every buffy season the first half has a different feel it still feels like this the season that it's in but it has like a slightly different build up than the second half so I always kind of equate the first half my favorite episode is, and this is so unpopular, but it's like the Beating the Beast episode. I really feel like it's really well done. And or the Homecoming episode. Those are like my favorite earlier on episodes. And then the later half you have like Helpless. Then you have Earshot. Amends. And Amends. And I'm like, I literally can't pick one. Um, before we get into the episode, I just want to put a trigger warning for – PTSD, depression, suicide, mass shooting, all of that stuff. As you guys know, well, I think as most everybody knows, this episode was actually delayed for about four months because of the massacre at Columbine, which at the time was the deadliest school shooting in the U.S., and it occurred one week before this episode was originally scheduled to air. Um, And because of the themes of the episode and because it included a scene with a student loading a rifle – Um, They chose to delay it, and the WB substituted a rerun of Bad Girls, um, and the episode ended up being delayed until two weeks prior to the season four premiere. So I I do want to address that. I do want to acknowledge that. And kind of in that vein, I want to talk a little bit about what some of the actors and the writers and even what Joss said um, with the decision of delaying the episode. Seth Green said this in an interview with Entertainment Weekly. It would have seemed really callous and inappropriate to delay the episode, but the actual episode has nothing to do with school violence. It's a red herring in the story. The simple fact is this is a topical issue. It's a growing problem, and Colorado isn't the only place it's happened. We just don't want to think these things happen, but they happen all the time. Instead of focusing on the real issues and the fact that guns are so easily and readily available to kids and that people aren't watching their kids carefully enough or monitoring the emotions of their students, they'd rather say, ooh, that guy's got a mohawk or that guy's got a leather jacket on. And Natural Born Killers is a film I don't like and Marilyn Manson scares me. So all that shit should be put on a funeral pyre. I think that's the wrong way to go. You can have 10,000 kids watch Natural Born Killers and only one or two is going to go shoot people. And you can guess they had mental problems to begin with. Which I thought was a really good point. And that's something we've talked about with Gingerbread where there's very much like the satanic panic and the idea that media influences people to doing a lot of stuff. And it's funny because that was a huge rhetoric in the late 90s, early 2000s. I remember growing up and being like, oh, you can't play video games because Mm -hmm. that's going to cause mass shooting. For a while, I was about to say, both of the first two Scream movies talk about that. And in the second Scream movie, Sarah Michelle Gellar has that dialogue where she's like, I don't believe that like kids' actions should be blamed for what we watch on television. 
Right. And it's just interesting because I don't feel like that's a huge rhetoric that people have these mm-hmm. days. Like I have not heard that argument. I think people yeah. realize now there's been enough studies, there's been enough time where it's like, okay, it's not our media and mental health is becoming much more of a topic of discussion and people are recognizing that there's a huge correlation to what's going on with our with our brain chemicals, but also home life, um, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, life that kids have and the relationships that people have surrounding them, whether or not they feel isolated. Um, and so I think the themes of this episode that deal with that loneliness and stuff is a huge facet and a huge um, underlying issue that causes those things. And I think it's crazy, like the impact an episode like this can make because it's like, it was made, what, around 20 years ago now? And the only, like, the significance of this episode has only become bigger because, right. unfortunately, right. more of these instances have happened. And so it's one of those things where it's like, this episode is so crazy to watch 20 years later and be like, I feel like this reigns more true now than it ever did. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but when we talk about Columbine, we have to say that it was the worst shooting at the time because there have been worse ones now. Um, and I feel like every year it's like another mass shooting that we hear about on the news or even that there's people we know of that have gone to a school and have had to deal with this. Um, so Jane Espenson, who is the writer of this episode, said this, the episode was a week away from airing and we were in the writer's room working on whatever was going on some much later episode when Marty Noxon came into the room and said it happened again. We got word pretty quickly. I think that the episode wouldn't air, which was a relief for one thing. It just wasn't the episode that you'd write if you knew it was going to land on a country in shock and mourning. It was too breezy for another thing that Buffy Jonathan scene was important, full of empathy and it deserved to be heard with some perspective, which I think was a really interesting um, way of putting that. She's like, I don't want people to hear that freshly raw from what is happening. I want them to be able to, to take a, a step back and be able to come to that. And she's thinking of you know people that are coming from the rhetoric of, oh, media is bad. She wants them to be able to look at this scene and say, oh, this is what you're trying to say and maybe have a different perspective from the one they held previously. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller actually lobbied really hard for this episode, which she considers one of her favorite Buffy episodes to be released on schedule. She thought it was great and would help those affected by the Columbine tragedy. She said this, I share the WB's network's concern and compassion for the recent tragic events at Columbine High School and at academic campuses around the country. I am, however, disappointed that the year-long culmination of our efforts will not be seen by our audience. Buffy the Vampire Slayer has always been extremely responsible and its depiction of action sequences, fantasy, and mythological situations. Our diverse and positive role models battle the horror of adolescence through intelligence and integrity, and we endeavor to offer a moral lesson with each new episode. There is probably no greater societal question we face than how to stop violence among our youth. By canceling intelligent programming like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, corporate entertainment is not addressing the problem. She did understand why they chose not to go through with it and went on to tell the Vancouver Sun that it was not her place to question their decision and there was many facets that fell into place that she didn't feel like she could comment on. Joss wrote on the posting board to reassure fans that the episode would eventually air saying this, 
On the inevitable subject, as far as preempting the episode, I agreed with the decision, and when you see it, you'll agree. I think that it was just badly timed, but it will air. I'm proud of it. It comments on that type of sitch. And obviously, we come down against massacring people, but any comment after so desperate a tragedy would be offensively trite. Needless to type, this blame the media thing makes me crazy. Remember when Dan Quayle blamed the LA riots on Murphy Brown? Everybody laughed, but nobody talked about the riots anymore. It's just a way of avoiding the subject and making sense of something too ugly to deal with by latching onto a scapegoat. Sigh, but it is Marilyn Manson's fault. Which I think brings up a really interesting question. Um, And a lot of people commented on the network's decision to pull the episode. Um, Some people criticized it by saying, oh, hey, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer actually validating the concern that media is responsible? Because Buffy's always been very much against that stance, even back in Gingerbread where they're talking about censorship and such. And so some of these these, uh, news outlets and articles and stuff were like, oh, ho, ho, are they saying that they actually do contribute to violence and such? And I think that's a very skewed way of looking at it because it's you can say that something addresses something nicely, but you can also understand the wisdom and in, in the timing of when to release it. Yeah, I honestly it, – it really was not about the content of the episode. It just was people were in mourning and it's like yeah. a lot of people go to – you know, television and stuff like that is a way to kind of escape what's going on in the world. And it's like, imagine just having a heavy week full of like hearing about it, seeing about it. And it's like, you go to watch TV and then it's on TV and it's like, and it's just like a constant reminder. It's like the episode itself handles it so well and it's so good. But I do think that them postponing it was a good idea. I think that Mm -hmm. it sucks for the time, but Ultimately, I think it's more important to care about your audience and the way that it's going to affect them than to care about like when it's going to get released. And like to kind of add to that, I feel like for me, when I watch certain things, there's two reasons to watch for me. There's two like different moods of why I want to watch something. There's one to be entertained and to enjoy it. And there's one to face things. Um, And this is coming from somebody who like, who grew up kind of feeling like I put myself into what I was watching and I feel like I learned a lot about life and um, just everything with like the television, the shows that I watched growing up. And I really feel like a lot of times for me, it's like either I'm going to come into something knowing that it's going to tackle a lot of things that are hard, but I'm willing to put myself in that situation to kind of I don't know, face that, I guess, or just like learn and see it in a different perspective. And I think that sometimes it's important to not, and I don't think anyone's saying this, but to not like censor anything in television only because especially, I mean, you have to have it for specific audiences, obviously. But I think that there are certain topics that should be addressed in television because that reflects how real life is. And so if you're going to be talking about things I think it should be done well. Or if you're going to be watching American Psycho, it's like obviously this person's not good. There's not really like huge moral like mission behind it. But I think it's reflecting what people can be like and you can have like a certain mindset going into it. But especially this episode, I think what they're saying too is like the timing was off, but it's important to see another perspective about these situations. Yeah. And I think everyone can agree that timing is just as important as message. 
So I want to talk a little bit about Danny Strong, the actor who plays Jonathan, um, and about his experience in uh, auditioning for Buffy and kind of like what led him to this episode. So he says, originally I auditioned for the role of Xander, but I didn't even get a callback for the part. Then the casting director called me back in to read for some small parts for Joss, and I got the role of student number two or something like that. My big line was, are you the new girl? Then they brought me into audition for some guest star roles during season one, but I never got the part. Then I got a phone call out of the blue during their second season to play the role of Jonathan in Inca Mummy Girl. I think that was the first time I was ever offered a role without having to audition. I was really surprised to hear from them because it had been so long since we shot the pilot presentation that I had assumed they had forgotten about me. So when he was asked about them holding back Earshot from being broadcast in the U.S., he said, I agreed that Earshot should have been pulled. It was just too similar to what had happened, and I think it would have been totally insensitive to air at the time. I'm glad that it was eventually aired because I think it's a really wonderful episode. Jane Espenson is a fantastic writer. And then he says this about Jonathan. He says, I see Jonathan as someone who just wants to fit in and be liked. I know that some people see him as a geek or a nerd, but I don't think so at all. I think he's just confused and a bit awkward. He's the kind of guy that it's just going to take him a little bit longer than most to feel comfortable in his own skin. And then when asked about his interactions with fans, he says, I can honestly say that I love the fans. This is the first TV show, film, play, or anything that I have ever been a part of that people care so deeply about. It makes such a difference when you go to work and you know that people are going to be excited about seeing what you're doing. Also, some of the fans came in to see some of the plays I've done in LA, and that has really meant a lot to me, which I thought was really cute. So about the episode in particular, Joss says this. He says, when we were shooting Earshot, I thought it felt like the final high school episode. Earshot sort of contains the show's thesis statement in a way. Um, and I think he's right. I think it the themes of this one and like even the conversation between Jonathan and Buffy reminds me a lot of Lie to Me and um, the conversations between Buffy and Ford. In her commentary on the DVD, writer Jane Espenson reveals that when she found out that she was going to write this episode, she knew that she wanted the student in the tower to be Jonathan. Even though Danny Strong had only had small comedic parts on the series over the years, she had faith that he would be able to handle the dramatic scene. And it's also crazy that she wrote Band Candy because you can see how witty she is, but the themes of this episode are so much like deeper and darker than even in Band Candy. Um, she says this, if I'm not mistaken, we started with the idea of Buffy being able to read minds with the very simple idea that what seems like a superpower would actually be a huge blow to the ego of a teenager. But Joss pointed out that that was hardly an original or surprising revelation. He thought it would get interesting if you could read minds and then you heard by this time tomorrow, you'll all be dead. In the end, our would-be shooter, Jonathan, wasn't the voice Buffy had heard, but the sweaty rifle-wielding confessional confrontation between the two of them was the best part of the episode. I wrote a draft of that scene, but Joss rewrote every word for the better. He found real adolescent pain in that scene, which I mean, surprise, surprise. Are we shocked that Joss is the one that rewrote the scene? <laughs> so this episode has themes of jealousy, insecurity, and the loneliness and isolation people feel around each other as a result of each individual's concern for himself. And comparison. Yeah, and comparison. This episode hits me deeply. Um, I was a very insecure high schooler. I wanted desperately to be popular and cool. I mean, what person doesn't want to? Um, and I think it became to the point where all I thought about was that, and I got really, really bitter. 
Um, and one day I was talking to someone who, um, he was my high school youth pastor and he was very impactful in my life, still is very impactful in my life. And he is probably the most unselfish and self-sacrificing person that I know. Um, and he told me he used to struggle with the same thing. And I remember us having a conversation one day. I asked him, I was like, okay, John, like, what did you do to get over it? And he told me, he says, Sarah, when you start focusing all your energy on serving and loving other people, you stop thinking so much about yourself because you have no more room to do so. He says, you don't have time to be insecure because you're too busy loving other people. And that's something I've carried with me my entire life. And it's so true. When I started focusing on other people and started being like, okay, when anytime I'm tempted to be like comparing myself, be like, okay, how can I love and serve someone else? How can I brighten their day? And after a while, you just stop thinking about yourself and you end up being a lot more secure of a person because your identity is no longer in that thing. Um, and I just, I, I really resonate. And I think everyone can resonate with that feeling of wanting to be seen and accepted. Um, and learning how to overcome that is a is a battle that's very, very hard, especially when you're young. I was about to say, like, I think it's also important to note too that even though some people might be from the outside, be popular, like Buffy says, be popular, have the friends, have all of this, be athletic and beautiful. It's like some of them are still really lonely. Some of them are still really miserable. And even though, like Cordelia said in season one, she might have people around her, but still be alone. Well, popularity is so temporary. It is such a high school concept because the minute you get out of high school, you're like, no one cares. Like, mm -hmm. you do what you do, you get things done, and you live with the people that you like. Like, it's just one of those things where high school, it can feel so overwhelming, but it's just interesting looking back on it with a perspective outside of high school and just being like, man, it is not worth it. Um, Passion the Nerd says this, Earshot has a perspective and a valuable one at that. Buffy's development of empathy here is the next logical step in her growth this season and will have some beautiful ramifications in the prom and graduation day. It's an incredibly important process, especially for Buffy, as being the Slayer can be so isolating for her. Significantly, it's the characteristic that distinguishes her the most from Faith. Um, and I think this episode is a huge growth moment for Buffy. Not that she wasn't empathetic before, but this season is all about authority and using authority in a good way. And Earshot is a reminder to both Buffy and the audience that a good leader must have compassion and empathy first and foremost before they can do anything else. Um, and I think there's also a metaphor here for Buffy and how she can let her power get to her and lord it over others. Yet instead, she chooses to lean into her humanity and chooses to let empathy and compassion lead her in fighting for others. Um, and I think that that's her greatest asset and it's what distinguishes her from Faith in the Mayor. So. All right. Now, now that we've completely dissected the episode, there's nothing more to say. All right. Episode 18. We're so close to the end. It's so exciting. So close. The beginning of this episode kind of reminded me of the beginning of Helpless. Yeah. For a second there, I was like, am I watching the right episode? Um, she's fighting two demons. These things kind of remind me of the the fish boys from season two. I'm fairly certain these are the exact same suits from Go Fish. Like as I was watching it, just spray I, think, I mean, they're tan. such a small budget. There's no way that they aren't like, let's just reuse the fish outfits that no one will remember from that one episode. 
Yeah, unfortunately, we all remember. We remember. They're just flesh-colored instead of that, like, grayish-purplish color that they were. But I was watching and I was like, mm, I think these are the same things. They're just different enough that no one's really going to bat an eye. But you're like, hmm, these look like the same thing, just a different font, just in italics. Yes. yes. We all have PTSD from that episode. I know. <laughs> um, she swings one up on top of the bench and stabs it. Um, and then you see the blood seep into her pores on her hand. Dun, dun, Bioluminescent dun. blood. Um, in the library, she's talking with Willow, saying that Demon 1 was killed, but Scabby Demon 2 got away. <laughs> Giles said he's been researching the mayor's upcoming ascension and basically has a sigh of uh, disrelief by saying that he doesn't know anything, which is a little bit like alarming. I feel like as a viewer, you're like, we're like three episodes away or four episodes and we still don't know what's going to happen. Um, and yeah. Buffy kind of says like how exactly like what we're feeling in this moment. She's like, was that whole scheme with Faith useless? And Giles is very reassuring and says like, no, like at least we know where Faith is at. At least we know where her loyalty lies. I feel like I have whiplash this episode with Xander's outfits because his yellow sweater looks really good on him in this scene. And, and then, then, the then green that one. shirt he wears, mm-hmm. that is the – ugliest thing I think I've seen him wear and he's worn a lot of not great stuff. Sanders' outfit is literally just a reflection of how I feel about him sometimes. <laughs> it's like sometimes I'm like, "Yay, you're doing a Sander." And then other times I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing you could have done." What does this shirt remind me of? Like what episode does he wear something similar to this? Is it in um Zebo? I don't. Doesn't he wear a shirt kind of like that? I have no idea. I honestly don't pay too much attention, but in this one, I like it. The shirt was screaming at me. I couldn't <laughs> help but pay attention. My eyes hurt. <laughs> it reflects his emotional state. He's very up and down, so yeah, his wardrobe reflects that. I think that Buffy's passing out was not because of the voices in her head. I think it was Xander's <laughs> shirt. <laughs> oh gosh! And then Wesley comes running in, like his breath or he's out of breath and he's like sorry i was running late official council business he basically like scoots in he's like so stiff when he just like (laughs) i know he runs in in with his shoulders not moving at all his like top portion of him doesn't move he's so military as if no one's gonna notice that he was late (laughs) um willow in the hallway asks buffy if she talked to angel and buffy says basically that seeing him bad even pretend bad and with Faith was really hard for her. And then Willow being a supportive friend was like he only kissed her for the greater good. And you can see Buffy like internally knowing that. But the insecurity of not knowing how Angel feels is a whole different type of uneasiness. I don't even know, at least in my opinion, I don't even know if it was necessarily about the kiss. I mean, I think it's hard to see that. But I think more so it was just hard to see Angel – even pretending to be like Angelus again. I think the kiss is like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, it sucks, but okay. But I think it's just seeing him as Angelus brings up a lot of emotion about, you know, what she's felt before. Well, and I think it comes down to Buffy feels insecure thinking that she's not enough for Angel, that she has to be bad. She has to be more like Faith. I mean, she's still processing what Faith has been telling her. You and I are the same, Buffy. Like you enjoy, you know, killing things and being bad. And so she's thinking maybe that's the part of me that Angel's attracted to, just what we talked about in Enemies and stuff. But um, there was someone I was talking to on Instagram. She was talking about how that's her one gripe with this episode. She feels like it seems like Buffy is holding on to this whole thing about being unsure and like 
talking about how like Angel would never tell me and all this other stuff. And she felt like that was a little bit out of character, especially after everything that Buffy and Angel have been through together, which I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I feel like it has been dragged on a little bit. I I can see that perspective. I'm not discounting that at all because I can totally see that. I view it as this episode is teen angst to its most. Mm. So I view it as since everyone's in a comparison game, since everyone's lonely, since you see that in Willow and her relationship with Oz, yes. they're in a very tight place. But even though she knows that yeah. Buffy can hear Oz's thoughts, she's thinking, oh no, like like Buffy knows him better than I do. Not in a sexual right. way or romantic way. She's thinking like she gets insecurity in her relationship with Oz and that she's right. going to feel like that's taken away. So I view it as everyone's kind of struggling in this episode emotionally yeah, with other people yeah. and with other dynamics. So I think it fits well. But I understand that in normal episodes, I think that Buffy would just full on ask and they would talk about it. Yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it, Tabs. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Percy is back. Your favorite I uh, love MVP Percy. of the basketball game. <laughs> I just so funny because Xander's like – Look at all these basketball jocks. They think they're so cool. And one of them's like, hey, Xander, he seems like a nice dude. Like, why is he crapping on him? Right. Well, and again, it goes back to literally what you just said, Tabs. Like, the episode mm-hmm. is about jealousy. The episode is about and not And then you look like at the perspective, and that person's probably super nice. Same. Well, I mean, Percy was kind of a jerk in the beginning, but then when you get to know him, he's just like this, like, insecure dude. You find out later that he's, like, needy with Willow. Like, Willow yeah. has to go to his games. Like, right. it's just funny. Well, and he's talking about how he's, like, not very good at like writing papers and things like Uh that like everybody has like something that they're wrestling with here well she's like did you finish reading and he's like mostly she's like percy he's like i'll finish at lunch which is so cute poor percy seeing his life flash before his eyes (laughs) i know i put him on the right track (laughs) he's like what will i do if you don't finish the reading (laughs) his friend's like i don't know what you're doing with him i actually heard him complete a sentence and he doesn't even look like embarrassed he's just like yeah like he's, like, he's like, Willow's sure. so good for me. <laughs> he's probably afraid to roll his eyes. <laughs> and then after that, he's like, um, are you going to come to the game? She's like, wouldn't miss it. And he's like, okay. And he walks away. And then she, later on, she's like, he's needy. <laughs> he's needy because he's afraid of, He's afraid if he doesn't get on your good side, you're going to choke him out. <laughs> but I also feel like it's one of those dynamics where like you kind of like fear slash respect somebody. So you just really want their approval. And I really feel like that's our dynamic now is like like even that conversation he's like oh i'll finish it at lunch like you can tell he's like i really want her to like you know think i'm doing really well right he he also is a little scared of her too but yeah (laughs) yeah no it seems like they like they actually have a relationship now too which is great yeah um will says everyone's gonna go to the game and then buffy keeps scratching her head poor thing yeah i really like that she again this speaks to buffy's good instincts and her intuition she's like huh this is different this is strange i think i touched something go straight to giles like i like that this isn't dragged out worlds and buffy wakes up and is like i can read people's minds what's happening like she knows exactly what's going on they really don't try and underplay buffy's intelligence yeah i like that i like that buffy is seen as intelligent and like is very thinks on her feet type of person in the library giles is trying to find some books to figure out about the demon and the itchiness and he finds the demon which looks the picture even the drawn picture looks like the fish alien i was like come on the guys fish boys i know really like, come on this whole episode is great but you couldn't find a different demon suit 
Um, he tells her that they infect their host. She starts freaking out because he doesn't even say anything after that. He just says infects the host. And she's like, Giles infects the host. He's like, oh, yeah, with an aspect. <laughs> and then she's like checking for a tail, checking for horns. <laughs> I think it's weird, though, that he tells her not to hunt down the demon to minimize exposure. But it's like you already have the blood in you. Well, they didn't know. know, like, if she had more blood, then it's possible that she would actually start gaining other aspects. Maybe she would have more than one aspect. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that that makes sense. Every time she goes and sees the demon, she, like, gains another superpower. <laughs> she, <laughs> like – She's able to, like, fly and all this stuff. And then they have an outdoor rally? Like, what is It's a is pep this? rally. It's a pep rally. Yeah. The outdoors? That's so weird. They're all cheering for Hogan and for Percy. But I think it's interesting that they do this with the pep rally because they're trying to show Xander's jealousy in a very organic way. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, obviously he's also jealous over Cordelia, but they're – It's not as, like, simple. I really feel like when you're getting over somebody, it's not just like a, oh, I'm completely over them romantically. It's like there's still part of you that feels like a natural attachment to them. But this is so smart having the pep rally because they're able to tie in three different plot points. They're able Mm -hmm. to have like Willow reading the newspaper. So it gives the guy something to talk about. I was about to say, I was like, they they did so good. And we'll talk about it when they pop up. But I really feel like the red herrings were so well ingrained in this episode naturally. Yeah. And then they also have a way for Cordelia to be around with Mm -hmm. Wesley. But then she's also doing the cheers. Then you have the interaction between Wesley and Xander and Xander and Cordelia. But then you also have the jocks, which leads into Xander's insecurity um, of not fitting in. And it kind of ties back a little bit to Go Fish, which, I mean, I just love how they've interwoven just a bunch of different stuff. It makes for a very fleshed out episode. Well, yeah, like Willow's reading like the school paper. (laughs) And then the school paper says the cheerleader basically prostitutes and it's like inappropriate you're like who is writing this i mean honestly though at sunnydale there's like no repercussions for half of their actions they have so many other things to worry about and like principal cider is too busy constantly being on buffy and willow stale that like you wouldn't (laughs) notice anything else going on well it says uh pseudo prostitutes to provoke men into a sexual frenzy (laughs) and then just as it did that it's uh the camera goes over to oz who looks anything but sexually frenetic he's just sitting there like what and it's like okay dude <laughs> i'd like to point out too how much like buffy has changed as a character by being the slayer because she's watching the cheerleaders which is what she used to be and she's like is it just me or is this really lame oz man they gave him the best lines in this episode he mm-hmm. was just on he's like i don't know usually i enjoy lameness and this is leaving me cold <laughs> he's like their spelling's improved oh my gosh and I love how like Xander's like, look at all these objectively beautiful women who are objectively more attractive than Cordelia. And I don't, oh I don't know why I ever dated word. her. And then Oz's like, I don't know. They're not really my – and then he cuts him off. He's like, look at him. He's getting these <laughs> filthy adult eyes all over my cord. He's Pierce Brosny. <laughs> he's like, you're a very complex man, aren't you? Oz is very patient with Xander. Like, I don't know how Oz – is able to still be around I just think him he after views everything him as that an happened. Idiot, so therefore, it's like whatever. I also view in my mind. I I have a feeling this is completely in my head, but I have a feeling that Oz's family life is insane. Like I have a feeling that Oz <laughs> just like his parents are buck wild. Like maybe he has some siblings that are just like Xander, and I bet you like. He just – his way of coping is just, like, letting everything roll off his back. He's very unbothered. 
Yeah, like he, Oz is just somewhere where I look at him like, I feel like you, you've seen He's stuff. seen like it he all. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Oz has middle child energy. He's just very like, you know, cool, laid back. You're just waiting for him to just snap one day though. I love how Buff- when Buffy's like freaking out about like the horns and possibly growing like a penis, like Willow like like uh, cheers for Percy while she's speaking. She's like, sorry, I, I really am listening, but I got to show him some support. He's needy. <laughs> <laughs> so according to Jane Espenson, Joss Whedon hated having demons with tails on the show because the tails almost never looked realistic. Um, so that's why they kind of wrote in this whole thing about Buffy being afraid that she's going to have a tail and having her constantly check for one. Then Buffy talks about how she's just really scared. She says, there's something in me and I can't stop it. I can't find it. And what if it changes me? Not just the way I look, but I could be something that's not me anymore. Which, again, the layers of metaphor here. She's talking about faith on a a meta level. Obviously, we're literally she's talking about what's happening with the demon. But there's a lot of subtext here about Buffy being afraid of turning into faith. And this entire episode is showing us why Buffy will never be faith and how empathetic and kind she is. So I love little bits of dialogue like this. So then in the script, it says that Buffy's out patrolling here, but in the episode, it looked like she's just walking home. So I don't really understand why. Yeah, I don't know I mean, why it could happened. be towards the end of her patrolling and she's oh, starting to head home. That's, that's a good true. Point. Yeah. She's just walking the streets being like, Angel, where are you? Yeah, she has, I mean, like her danger. best outfit on. She's like, I'm rolling, I promise. <laughs> All alone. She's like Cordelia, puts on a super shiny, sparkly dress and like walks in. She stubs her tone. She's like, Ouch, I'm in pain. Stacey <laughs> pops up anywhere. <laughs> she's like, Dang it. I love how she's like looking in her compact for, um, horns and then angel just appears behind i just love little things like that <laughs> it's you're so, like sometimes i forget that this show is a vampire show like that's right. ridiculous <laughs> uh, it's but i don't like i view it as like a real life show but just like intermerged with paranormal stuff um but then there are some like cliches that pop up like that and i'm like oh yeah He's a vampire. I just forget that. It's just so Edward Cullen of him. This episode had quite a few like very blatant like he's a vampire nods like the whole like him being out in daylight um, with the smoke, the smoking blanket. And then when she like goes in to see him and he's like walks over next to the curtain and there's like sunlight and stuff. I don't know. I just like little things like that because I think it's easy to forget that he actually is a vampire. So then Angel and Buffy have this conversation where Buffy's trying to like bring up faith without actually addressing the situation. And Angel's like not really like biting. <laughs> He's just talking to her about what he wants to know where she's at. He's like, I just want to make sure you're okay, you're safe. And then she's like, Oh, does that mean faith's here since you're here? Are you keeping me safe by tracking me or tracking her? And he, Angel. God love him. This man is just like a saint. He's very affirming in this episode. He's so affirming, but he just sticks straight to the point. He just looks at her and says, I'm tracking you. And then he's like, something's bothering you. We're like, you don't <laughs> you say, know Angel. <laughs> that line made me die laughing. I was like, Angel, <laughs> honey, sweetheart. He's mentioning And then right after you say, hmm, I think something's bothering you. She's also been avoiding like, I wonder him. what it could be. <laughs> She's also been avoiding it for like a couple, 
like, well, a couple episodes. Maybe it's been a couple days, a couple weeks. I don't know. And he's like, something's bothering you. It's like the literally the last time you guys talked, she was like, I need a break. She said she wanted a break <laughs> because of what happened. Like, come on, Rachel. You're not dumb. But it, I think it just shows his one-track mind. He's literally not even thinking of faith at all. He's just like, Buffy, Buffy. And then he's like, wait a minute. Buffy. It's like, my <laughs> spidey senses are tingling. I have a feeling that something is off. And she's like, we literally broke up last episode. Are you talking about? <laughs> no, they did not break up. He yeah, asked, it was, are I you know. still my girl? It was a joke. Was it not a breakup? It was a joke. It was, it was a, a joke. break. They, didn't break they were on a break. No, sorry. <laughs> Neither one of them slept with other people, though. That's that's very different. All right. This The script is really interesting because it says after Angel says – Something's bothering you. Buffy says, oh, lots of things. And then the script says, will Angel bring up Faith now? No. Buffy sighs. So it's interesting because I think Buffy's baiting Angel. She wants him to talk about it. She wants him to bring up it up. She doesn't want to have to ask him about it, <laughs> which may sound stupid, but this is how us girls think. <laughs> I've done this more times than I can count. I want you to want to talk about it. I don't want to have to bring it up to you because I want you to think it's that it's a big enough deal for us to discuss. Well, but it's it. also like a I wanna I wanna see if you notice what's going <laughs> wrong and I wanna see if you notice if I'm upset. Like yeah, yeah it sounds psychotic, but it's also like a, a <laughs> level of like a, I wanna see if you are in tuned with me and with what's going on. Well yeah. that, but also like as girls, sometimes we we feel a little bit crazy only because like and I think it affirms both roles, unhealthy roles of like a man and a female in a toxic relationship. Where if he doesn't care at all, then the girl feels like she has to bring up everything, and so therefore she feels crazy because she's feeling everything all the time in the relationship. And it's like sometimes that can make a guy like kind of curl back into his like turtle shell. So I can understand that perspective, but it's. It's hard because it's like, you guys have a healthy relationship. Just talk about it. Yeah. And I think that would be really annoying if it weren't for the fact that they have an amazing conversation later on. So we'll yeah. get there. So then they talk about the demons and Buffy talks about how she's afraid that she'll get her aspect of the demon. And then we have this really sweet moment where Angel says, believe me, I won't let anything hurt you if I can help it. And no matter what happens, I'll be with you. I'll love you even if you're covered with slime. The toxic part of me listening to that dialogue was like, mm. I don't think you'd love her if she was still covered in slime. <laughs> oh, so sad. Uh, back at the school lounge, Willow comes in and they're, she's mentioning the game to Xander. They're trying to make it like a little bit hush-hush that they had a great time at the game. Uh, Xander makes a comment. He was expecting Oz to make an expression. He's like, oh, don't worry. If I felt one coming on, then I would. <laughs> Oz. Uh, Buffy comes up. They all shush really obviously. Buffy's outfit, this is like so this episode cute. screams earshot to me. It's so cute. She has a little black tank top tucked into like this really cute – I don't even know. It's like a pencil skirt but it's longer and it's embroidered at the bottom. It's so cute. It's so funny because there are some episodes where Buffy will be wearing an outfit but we only see from like the waist up because she'll be sitting down or something. But this is such a memorable um, outfit because we see her walk down the hallway mm -hmm. and – uh, well, we and get she to collapses see, like, with thing. it too. Well, you know who this outfit reminds me of is um, Jenny. Oh, yeah. A couple the of her outfits. Skirt. A couple of her outfits in this one really remind me of Jenny because Jenny used to wear the long skirts a lot. 
And Jenny wore her hair up like mm. that too. Well, yep. when I see this outfit, this reminds me of like the exact look that she wears in um, She's All That. When she's sitting at like the little oh, cafeteria, yeah. she has her hair up in like a clip and she's wearing like a, I think a black shirt too. Um, and it looks like she went straight from earshot to that scene, but she probably didn't. But I always like to think that she did. It was in season four when she filmed her oh, cameo it was? and she's all that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. She lo- no, but she looks like she has season three hair. Like it looks very bleached. <sighs> oh, maybe I'm wrong. I know she was dating Freddie Prince, but I didn't think she well, started I think dating the movie Freddie came until out season in 99. four. Oh, no. then maybe this was. Maybe this Let was me the look same it up. scene. Because I know that she's all that also. Um, yeah, the movie came was, out in 99. Okay, so I then tell. it was season three. I have this weird, guys. I'm so obsessed with the 90s. I have this weird thing <laughs> where I'll look at a movie and I can tell what year, most of the time, what year it was filmed in. And the yeah. outfits look like on the verge of 2000s, but it looks like it's still somewhat in the 90s. Yeah. So yeah it's in, well, that it's would 99. make sense because um, She's All That was filmed at the same school that Buffy was filmed, so she would go over and visit him all the time. Yeah, it was Freddy. released in January of 99, so she might okay. have been the very beginning of filming for season three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't even know that her and Freddie started dating then. I thought it was season four. Interesting. They probably were new. Yeah. It was probably really new. Oh, Rotten Tomatoes has it 42%. I disagree with that. All right. So then Buffy discovers that she can hear people's thoughts when Xander looks over at Cordy and we hear the voiceover of, I wonder if she and Wesley have kissed. She walks in the hallway and we get this like awkward so walk in the hallway. Funny but I though. think it's it's so smart. This episode is so intelligent because you walk through it and this is kind of like an easier way that they could have done a lazier way of like hearing all these people's inner thoughts and thinking like, oh, this person's suspicious. They do a little bit of that, but it's not the crux of it. It's not what they lean on for evidence for red herrings. We got like the newspaper earlier on. We get like her conversation with Jonathan in the cafeteria. We have um, Xander's comment about the cafeteria lunch lady. Like there's so many different things. Even Nancy, like she's kind of red herring too, but Mm -hmm. she walks in the hallway. There's that I forget what that teacher's name, Mr. Mr. Beach, Beach or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Um, he walks by. He's like, you know, he wants all the students gone. Buffy walks walks by that guy whose pants are falling down. He's like, one of these so days. Funny. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting that like as time goes on, Buffy starts to hear more and more negative thoughts from people. Yeah. Like, and right here, right now, this is kind of funny this is like just passing thoughts but like it gets as the episode gets darker the thoughts get darker as well it's just crazy because it's such a fast moving episode if you think about it like there's a Mm -hmm. lot that happens um and i think that part of the reason why it kind of gets darker sarah is because it i feel like we kind of like go through the motions with buffy i kind of see it too as her power grows because um, yes. The, the darker thoughts are more in people's minds. Deep down of like, there. Yeah, they're more deep Ooh, yeah, thoughts yeah, yeah. instead of like the ones that like, the oh, you know, my favorite color is blue. And then it's like the deeper ones where it's the more insecurities and stuff. So I kind of see it as the longer that Buffy has his power is the longer – power grows. Like, yeah. Well, that's true because even in the classroom, you could be thinking – everyone's thinking of surface-level stuff like, oh, did I do the homework right? Or what is what question is she really asking? Or like this person next to me smells weird. Like all these things. But we, I feel like as humans, we have constantly so many thoughts going on at the same time. But some of them maybe are like 
stuff pushed back or stuff that we don't want to think about, but they're still there. So that's a very astute, Leah, because I really feel like people are a lot more complex than just one string of like one thought in your brain mm-hmm. when you're going from one scenario to the other throughout your day. Um, so that's so true because it's like throughout the day, they get a little bit darker and darker, especially when she's in her room. We'll talk about that. I picked up on a lot of random things and I was like, oh, that's a little alarming. Buffy tells Giles how happy she is about this power because to her right now, she's thinking it's just normal. She can like know exactly what everyone's thinking. Giles is thinking more of a superpower kind of mindset. He's like, right. you can attack all of your villains knowing their next move, their next tactic. This will be really helpful with the mayor. Right. It's so interesting that Buffy's first thoughts are not, oh, this will help my slang abilities. It's this will help my human side. This is going to help my everyday life. And we we don't see her use her uh, her psychic abilities for slang ever in this episode. It's well, all for yeah, everything well, else. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, I don't think that's a fault to her. I think that she's so confident in her slayer side now Yes, that she that feels very like, not unattached, but she has little power over her human side because she doesn't feel as connected to it right now in her life. Mm. I really feel like season three, she is trying so hard to be the moral slayer that she's only being that in a lot of season three. Um, but I feel like she, since she's supposed to be the good moral slayer, I really like that they they still had her tap into her empathetic side and never leaves. Because yeah. I really feel like sometimes we will watch heroines or heroes in movies or like um, – uh, I guess like a good example of this would be like – the second movie of the Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. It's like he's been the good moral person and he he doesn't know how to balance between his human and his Spider-Man. And so he just kind of gives up or he doesn't become as empathetic and he has to go through a lot at the end of the movie in order to come back to it. And I, I'm so glad that they decided not to go down that route of like, I have to be the moral slayer and then therefore loses a lot of, of who she thinks she is. And maybe they'll do that in like future seasons. We'll get to that. But I really feel like, especially in a season where they kind of question and tackle a lot of that side of Buffy because of Faith, I'm glad that they didn't also bring that layer onto it right now because I feel like they could have done it when it's only focused on Buffy. So I'm thankful that they didn't go that route. And I'm. it's interesting to me that she didn't think about like you said, Sarah, in a slayer mindset because I think that she feels a little bit more confident on that side of herself this season. I think they're also trying to lean heavily into the humanity side of her versus her slaying side in this episode. Like sure. She slays at the beginning of the episode and that's it. And she uses her abilities um, that she has gained from slaying to talk to Jonathan in the end. Um, yeah. And she mentions that to Giles at the end too. It was really nice to actually help somebody and not just go out there and just kill a demon. Yeah, that wasn't the Slayer talking to Jonathan. That was Buffy. It was Buffy, yep. Well, and I really think that that's one of the things that shows why Buffy is such a good Slayer is because she has so much empathy and compassion, but she also is very human. Like she just right. is in touch with the world. I just realized this, but this episode is brilliant and it's so clever in its placement in the season because this episode needed to focus on what it is that makes Buffy distinct from Faith and it's her humanity. It's who Buffy is without being the Slayer. It's the fact that she's empathetic and compassionate apart from her abilities to go out there and kill things. This episode showed that she's more than just a killer. 
And what makes it so easy to do if I were Buffy's in situation talking to Jonathan thinking he's going to kill people is I could easily separate myself from Jonathan thinking he's horrible for doing something like this, which is true. If you're going to mass murder people, that's obviously horrible, horrible. But rather than going into it being like, I would never do that. She finds a middle ground of being like, I struggle, you struggle, everyone struggles, but not in like a his feelings are invalid. It's like a, you think people don't struggle when you look at others that you want to be like or that you want to be included in and everyone is hurting. And I love that she took that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm jumping again, but we'll we'll get to that conversation. Giles's whole, uh, he's not convinced that she actually is uh, telepathic. And she's like, when I walked in a minute ago, you thought, look at those shoes. If the fashion magazine told her to, she'd wear cats strapped to her feet. <laughs> I something you would say. Totally can see Giles thinking that. Um, you see in Buffy's eyes that she's like, for sure, I'm going to use it for slang. Not. <laughs> then it cuts to the classroom. Mm-hmm. And she's like, answering all these questions like little smart ass and everyone's looking at her up being like girl you've never spoken up once in class this entire year bro i wouldn't make it too obvious just yeah. in case like i lose it the next day and they're like buffy <laughs> they call on you forever uh, after that i love how willow's like buffy buffy did the reading buffy understood the reading <laughs> And Xander's like, was their homework? Like, two oh different mindsets. Gosh. And then they have, like, another, like, point of, like, making it seem like it's Freddy in this episode mm-hmm. because then you see him in the corner and Buffy asks who that is. Will tells him he's the editor of the paper. He has, like, some cryptic monologue going on in his head. It's fun to see Buffy enjoying herself. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's rare that we get to see these moments. And it, it felt very For the high five school. five seconds of the episode. I know. And before, you know, becomes just incredibly dark. So this scene, Joss wrote two scenes. We know he wrote the clock tower one, but he also wrote this scene in this episode as well. I mean, if you couldn't tell with the Shakespeare references and stuff. So they discuss Shakespeare's Othello. And previous drafts of the script had them discussing Henry VIII or the catcher in the rye, but Joss rewrote the scene to make it tie in with Buffy's feelings. Othello is the story of a noble military general who has enjoyed many successes on the battlefield, but because of mistakes of his judgment and his outsider status in his society, he sabotages his most intimate relationships and himself. The play's constricting trajectory suggests that negative emotions like jealousy put an emotional chokehold on a person, strangling their ability to think clearly and thus preventing them from acting reasonably. It also contrasts the arenas in which Othello is confident and powerful, such as the exterior world of battle, with the domestic spaces in which he is less secure and able to be easily manipulated. So the the entire play of Othello, they start out on the battlefield with these grand sets, but as the play escalates and progresses, it ends up in a uh, cramped bedroom where he ends up killing his wife. And you can kind of see that even happening in this episode. Like Buffy starts out like, oh my goodness, like this is so fun, so great, like in the hallway. And then like it starts to shrink down until she's in her bedroom and she can't even leave. And it's like it's supposed to represent the isolation that happens when you're so consumed by bitterness and jealousy, which is really interesting. Othello is um, supposed to represent, or I guess Buffy's supposed to be Othello in this. Icarus is supposed to represent Faith, and I guess that would mean that Angel is uh, Desmona. 
I I know we've talked about this beforehand, but it's like if you're ever confused about what the theme is for the episode, just listen to what the teachers are teaching. In yes. Class. Yep. <laughs> Every time, without fail. The first episode, they write up death on like the board. And Buffy's like, and you're like, yeah, I wonder what this this. And us as an audience is like, hmm, I wonder what this show will tackle. Yeah. Othello is a play about sexual jealousy and how one man can convince another man who loves his wife dearly that she has been unfaithful to him when she hasn't. But Shakespeare does several very interesting and artistically quite bold things with the basic plot and the characters he uses to tell the story. First, he makes his hero noble, but unusually flawed. All heroes have a tragic flaw, of course. Macbeth's is his vaulting ambition. Hamlet's is his habit of delaying or overanalyzing, and so on. But Othello's tragic flaw, his pride, is not simply noble or military pride concerned with doing the right thing, but a rather self-serving and self-regarding kind. Indeed, self-regarding to the point of being self-destructive. And so, again, it's supposed to be a reflection of when we are so focused on ourselves, we can actually become self-destructive. That's from interestingliterature.com. Anyway, thought that was interesting. Carry on. So we go to the scene in Angel's mansion. Or whatever, abandoned. Um, it's home. a mansion. You got it right. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Buffy comes in. Her mood is very different this time. She's there for a mission to see if she can uh, read Angel's mind. So she comes in very chatty. She like abruptly comes in, almost gets the sunlight on him. He's like, "What in the world is she doing?" And then she leaves the curtain open. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she just forgets. She's like, "Oh, like you know, look at me. I'm sounding like Faith." And she just stares at him. He's like, um. He's like half asleep. The poor man's like, oh, do we have to talk about Faith again, woman? <laughs> He's about to go to bed because it's sunlight, you know? Yep. <laughs> and then she says something that I thought was very interesting. She goes, she was hurt and some people, some protective people might be drawn to that, I guess. Oh, that made me sad. I was like, that's a real thought. That's like a mm-hmm. real thing that she's feeling. She knows that Angel is so sweet and compassionate. So yeah. she's thinking that like he's she's drawn kind of to like, that. I was about to say, I was like, it wasn't like a, I don't know. It felt like a very like. She wasn't she blaming him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I just think that Buffy has such a inner turmoil right now about it because like part of her is like trust Angel and trust his judgment and trust his heart. But then another part of her is like, it's so hard to see. But mm-hmm. also, like, I think – I mean, we talked about this when we did Enemies, but it brought up the whole fact of, like, if Angelus is still the other half of him, is mm-hmm. he still attracted to darkness? Is he still attracted to this type? So I think it's more than just her thinking Angel's attracted to Faith. I think that she's nervous that the other side, other coin of Angel is attracted to Faith because of the darkness, which is something that he can't control, which is right. very unnerving for her. Is he attracted to the darkness in her as well? You know, because yeah. Faith is the other side of Buffy. Yeah. It's this whole thing. It's so much deeper than just a kiss. It's well, it's deeper than just her and Angel. It's the mm-hmm. other side of Angel that is unpredictable that is scaring her, which is fair. I want to know how Angel knew that she was trying to see into his mind. Like he's like, you can't you don't have to read my mind, but like how did he know? I'm just like so curious. He knows all about demons, Sarah. He reads okay. a lot. I don't know. He I does like really- if, I, if I knew that someone was like had mind powers or whatever, I feel like every time I'm in a room with them, I'd be like, you're trying to read my mind. But she never says that she has mind power. Like, how did he know she has them? You know, that's what I'm confused about. 
But maybe he went and researched the demon all on his own and was like, oh, they're telepathic. And then, you know, when she's staring at him, he's like, she got telepathy. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him to do research on it. Well, I love how he kind of tackles this whole scenario because he's like, well, it's like a mirror. The thoughts are there, but they show no reflection. And he, you could see Buffy's face being like, oh. And he goes, you don't have to play games with me, Buffy. Never. And she's like, well, you're not exactly Joe. Here's what I'm thinking, which is fair. But then he says, well, ask me. I love this scene so much. Mm-hmm. It's so rare in television where you have two characters that talk like this. I feel like any yeah. other show would have drawn this out and had a huge miscommunication yeah. between them. But it's so honest. Well, and then I love that she doesn't even really ask him after that. He brings it up. He goes, is it the fact that I kissed her? The fact that like, you know, I had to sit there knowing that I was hurting you. Buffy says that she'd understand if he was attracted to Faith because he has she has the whole bad girl thing. And he says, kissing her meant nothing. I don't want a bad girl. I've done that before. I've lived a long time, Buffy, and I'm past that. He's like, I've been with dozens of girls like her. More. She's like, oh, <laughs> She's this like, honestly, <laughs> it's interesting because the episode had them blocked differently. They were supposed to be sitting next to each other while this happened, but in the episode, he gets up, goes, and stands behind the television and looks at her. And I think they do this because they wanted him to face her. It, I think this was Angel yeah, trying like to that. be like, "Let's talk about this." And then once he says his thing, he goes and he sits back down next to her. And then you have that intimate moment of them coming together. It was like the television was the thing in between them. And then, like, once they got over that, they went and sat down, and now they have, like, this conversation. And I know this is, like, a small thing, but I almost prefer what they did, and here's why. I – and you can disagree with me. I just kind of – this is how I viewed it. I feel like when you're having a tough, intimate, awkward conversation – not necessarily awkward, but just, like, a a rough conversation with, like, with a spouse, with a friend, with, like – and it feels more of like an intervention or whatever. When you're sitting next to each other, it feels a little bit stiff. It feels like a little bit like you're sitting there being like you're holding back a little bit of like emotion. It's like it feels a little bit like strained. I feel as though when I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm walking around, it's a stream of consciousness that I've been mulling over the past few days and I'm processing it and I'm able to talk about it more freely. And I feel like him naturally getting up and leaning against the counter shows that he's not tense about talking about it. I also feel like it's just one of those things too where he can tell that Buffy is so tense. Yeah. That he's trying to make her feel comfortable and he's trying to show her like I have nothing to hide. Totally. It felt a lot more like open to me like the fact that he's leaning Mm -hmm. against the wall and it's not like a formal sit down conversation. It to me screamed like I felt very affirmed for Buffy because I was like he doesn't seem like he's hiding anything. He doesn't seem stiff. He doesn't Mm -hmm. like you could tell that he is like willing and open and like he's not hiding anything. Yeah, he was willing to face her and talk about it openly. Yeah. But there's no comparison in 243 years. I've loved exactly one person. Oh, Buffy. Oh, it's me, right? <laughs> That's just her trying to pry for more cute things that uh-huh. say to her. <laughs> yeah. And then it says he smiles. Next time, just ask. Oh, what a mature yeah. – this is what a mature relationship looks like. I just – I'm loving the season three relationship. Like it's so different from the season two relationship of them, but it's so much more mature and adult, and I just absolutely love it. Oh, and then Angel, you know, and Buffy, be careful with this gift. A lot of things that seem good and strong and powerful, they can be painful, which – you know, again, this is the metaphor for Buffy's 
uh, Slayer gifts as well too. He's telling her, you know, like the, or the show is telling us through Angel, you know, this is how it is to be a leader. Like you have to be careful with it. It is, it can be a tool um, that can be used for good or for evil as well. <laughs> and then Buffy, like say immortality. Exactly. I'm dying to get rid of that. Oh, and then this famous scene in the library. This is good. I love this, this one. This is really good. We start off with Xander being all wigged out that she can read their minds, which which is fair because I feel like, I mean, Wes is going to say it in a little bit, but it's like if someone you know can read minds, everything will be popping into my head that I don't want anyone to be thinking about. But Cordelia says like the same thing she's been thinking like in every one of these scenes, which is so like that's such a good character written I thing love for an that episode. They added that. Yeah. Because it really shows like Cordelia is who she says she is. Yeah. She speaks her mind, she says what's on her mind, like and she does not hide the truth. Well, back in Killed by Death, she says, what, tact is just not saying truthful things or something like that? Cordelia is 100% herself and 100% truthful. A lot of people um, have interpreted this whole thing with Cordelia to be like, oh, she's just as vapid as she seems on the outside. Um, But I think that it's the opposite. I think it actually shows that she doesn't care what people think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a strong attribute. I think she definitely needs to sharpen it to make it like, you know, a little bit more empathetic. But I think I like the fact that she is who she says she is. Um, and then Will's being like all supportive. She's such a good friend this episode. Each of the characters in her thoughts reflects – like it just really feels very much like them. Um, Oz is over here like philosophizing about whether his thoughts make him Buffy or not. Willow is over there like worried about the fact that Buffy might know Oz better than her. Um, Well, I mean, before that, she even says she's like, she's hardly human anymore. How could I be her friend now? She doesn't need me. And mm -hmm. Buffy's like, no, I do need you. And you see Willow kind of like feel a little bit violated. Her face is kind of like, oh, you know. And then Cordy's confused and creeped out by Buffy because, you, I mean, from everyone else's perspective, they're having normal conversation about the day. And then all of a sudden, Buffy's like, no, I do need you. Like, that'd be such an awkward, like, everyone's like, wait, what did you hear yeah. in, Bu- in Willow's, you know, brain? It's so funny. Um, Jane Espenson said that Joss Whedon suggested Oz's reaction by telling Jane to write something that sounds like something Friedrich Nietzsche would have said in the situation. So this is kind of a nod to the French philosopher René Descartes, who came up with the Latin phrase, cogito ergo sum, which means I think, therefore I am. (laughs) And then Xander over there trying to do math to keep himself from thinking about sex, and he doesn't even do the math right. (laughs) (laughs) That's because he's trying so hard. He's like, God, Xander, is that all you think about? Yes, that is all Xander thinks about. For we real. did not need to read his mind to know that. And then Wes is like, Xander showed us a good example of having mental discipline and being really good at controlling your thoughts. And he immediately starts thinking about Cordelia. I'm a bad, bad man. And Buffy's just over there like, shame, <laughs> <Her face>. shame. <laughs> Her amusement. Oh, yep. it's so good. He looks mortified and then just stiffly runs away like in the beginning of the episode. So this scene ends with everyone wanting to leave the room because they don't want Buffy to know about their deepest thoughts because it's incredibly violating. One of my favorite quotes of Oz is, if you don't need me, I'm going to follow the redhead. Yes. (laughs) so cute. As Willow goes, so goes my nation is my second favorite one. Yes. I thought of that one too. 
That one's the best. And then before the scene ends, Wes peeks out. He's like, excuse me, can you hear me thinking here? I can go out into the hall. (laughs) I swear. Sometimes I'm like, Wes, no one has. Buffy leaves. And in the hallway, she's walking down, hearing a ton of people speak this time. And this time, they're a lot more heartbreaking than they were last time. Well, I hear Jonathan. Do you guys hear Jonathan? Yes. He says, no one's ever going to love me. Yes. And it's interesting. Every time they have Jonathan speak, they kind of actually give it away because yeah. they have like that whisper tone underneath his voice. Like it sounds like like two people speaking. It's the same way that they had that one voice in the um, the cafeteria speaking this time. It's Tomorrow you'll clearer. all be dead. Yeah. yeah. So they're, it's like they're trying to like make him also a red herring for the lunch lady mm-hmm. more so than when he's up in the clock tower. But we have – no one's ever going to love me. What if I never get breasts? I can't believe the test is today. Get rid of the students. It's that easy. What if I'm the last virgin in the world? I oh, hate my body. So sad. I know. And th- and then I mean someone talking about how they hate their body. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just who hasn't felt these things? Especially in high school. Well, and then you add in the supernatural elements and all that. It's like that's gotta make it even worse. Um, in the library, we see that Giles is doing research, finds out someone else had it too, but he's in isolation because otherwise he'd go insane and he wouldn't be able to shut off all of the inner thoughts. Um, in the cafeteria, Buffy's getting food next to Jonathan. Um, she's so distracted when he asks her a question if she's done with the mashed potatoes and you can just see him be like, of course, she's not answering me. But of course, like I love that they add this small thing because it shows from Jonathan's perspective that Buffy is ignoring him. But we know that we have an insight of what Buffy's thinking because she's overwhelmed with her own thoughts and everyone else's thoughts. And I love that they gave us a visual representation of that first. And then the conversation with her later on with Jonathan kind of hits a little bit more home because it's like you never know what the person's thinking or going through or what type of day they have or what struggles they're dealing with in the moment. Sometimes it's not necessarily about us. And even if it is about us, it's like we can do something about that, you know? They are very clever. They have they purposely show Jonathan in this scene. They show Freddie in the scene. He walks up behind her there. so mm-hmm. creepily. Yep. Nancy is in this scene. Mm-hmm. They have all the Poor Freddie, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he got all the heat. <laughs> yeah. Buffy's walking back. She gets overwhelmed. She's hearing all these thoughts. Um, and then everything stands still and we hear this time tomorrow, I'll kill you all. Outside in the grass, Buffy wakes up. Everyone's staring at her thinking again. The poor girl cannot escape. I told them not to move you. They probably severed your spinal cord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And then Xander's like, it's the lunch lady, which it's funny because it's like, okay, Xander. Yeah. But then it ends up actually being the lunch lady. You're like, what in the world? Buffy tells him to make a list of everyone who's there. She says that Nancy is scary. Look out for Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then Giles says to take her home. Everyone goes back into the school. And she asks him if if everything is going to be all right, if it'll go away. And he promises it will. But then he thinks if it never goes away, she'll go insane, which has got to be jarring to hear. That that part makes me so sad because like – you can't fault Giles because he is trying to protect her and like yeah. trying to help her. But it's also just like that's even scarier knowing like he's scared too. That's why he's lying. I do want to point out, I do think they should have cut out this line from Xander here, um, especially after what happened with Columbine. I do think that it is a little insensitive. And of course, Xander would say it. He says, yeah, I mean, who hasn't just idly thought about taking out the whole place with a semi-automatic? 
I said idly. I mean, I know. Yeah. I, even if you're joking about it, it's just, I, I think it's a little bit insensitive and I don't think it was a needed. I think that the, I think the angle they're trying to show is that everyone hates high school and they, they quote unquote hate everyone there. They hate the experience, but making a joke that far while you're also teasing the idea of a mass shooter is a little yeah. bit too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. I understand the intent behind it, yeah. but I just don't, especially after Columbine, I think they should have gone Very back insensitive. and cut this, yeah. this out. I agree. It's kind of a little bit like unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cordy goes, yeah, because that never happens in American high schools, which is yeah, sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Will says, especially in Sunnydale, when they're in the corner of, or in the center of evil, that's bound to happen and you could tell all of them are like oh that's true um and they only have until lunchtime tomorrow to figure out who it is and to mm-hmm. stop them back in buffy's room joyce is like frantically going in and out of the and room we're like hmm, joyce blankets joyce, and food and everything why are you acting like this joyce what's going hey, on Buffy, what could Buffy's- you possibly have to hide from us and Buffy's being so sweet. She's like, Mom, can you just come in here and sit with me? Bro, if I was Buffy, I'd be scared to read my parents. Like, oh, I'd mind. want her I'd, out I'd, of the room. Yeah. I'd I know. Like, I'd kind of be like, listen, I don't think either of us want to know what's going on. Yep. I love how they chose to do this reveal. They didn't have us hearing a voiceover of Joyce. That You just yep. had Buffy's reaction, which I yep. think is even better. I think that's a, a genius way of having that pop up because us as viewers, we don't know what she's thinking because you see mm-hmm. Buffy's eyes widen and you're like, oh no, what is it? What is it? And I think you just forget that like her and Giles were like a thing for an episode. <laughs> and so the, it just, it's very well done because you don't really think about it. And then when you say it, you're like, wait, what? And you're like, oh my gosh, it was back at band candy. You had sex with Giles. You had sex with Giles. It was the candy. We were teenagers. And she's like, on the hood of a police car? Twice? <laughs> it's true. Though, because- I literally would be like, get out, get out. I don't want to know anymore. Yeah. Oh, I'd be like, I can take word. care of myself. Thank you. I love that that's the thing that Joyce doesn't want Buffy to know. Like, I'm sure there's other things like, oh, your father and I, like, you know, this or whatever. It's about Giles. Oh, my god. Well, gosh. I think that makes sense only because, like, she sees Giles all the time and she's supposed to respect Giles. Obviously, she does. I'm not saying she's supposed to. But I think, like, right. that's the first thing she thinks of. She's not really thinking of Buffy's dad because even if she did, it would be more, like, awkward rather than, like mm-hmm. like – Shocking, you know. Um, Jane Espenson said in her commentary that she included the exchange that Buffy discovers that her mom slept with Giles and Band Candy because, to my surprise, a lot of people were confused about how far Giles and Joyce had gone. Mm. And so I really enjoyed this as an opportunity to make it very clear that they actually had sex on top of that police car. I just sort of wanted America to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the handcuffs. I was confused about that. I feel like it was pretty clear. The handcuffs were definitely like a huge clue. And just like how bashful Joyce and Giles were at the very end of the episode. (laughs) I mean, come on, man. So funny. I feel like the ending of both Band Candy and this episode have the same tone. They end Mm -hmm. very similarly. I want to note that Willow is once again in charge since Giles and Buffy are kind of out of commission for Mm -hmm. the moment. She definitely lands into that leadership role pretty smoothly every time they're not around. Mm-hmm. You can see her giving orders. Um, and then Cordy wants to work with Wes. <laughs> and then Xander's like, you have no shame. She's like, as if shame is something people want to have. I also just think it's funny that like <laughs> Wesley isn't even thought of 
to like lead the gang, it's Willow over Wesley. <laughs> That's true. Uh, which is just so funny. It's like <laughs> you would think Wesley would be the logical choice because he's like he is technically the watcher, and like both Buffy and Giles are out of commission. But it's like no, he just follows orders. What's well, funny too because. Cordelia is thinking way less about Wesley than he is about her. You never hear in Cordelia's thoughts about Wesley because she doesn't have to. She's saying it all out up front. She's like, I want to be with Wesley. Wesley yeah, should be true. in charge. Wesley's the one that should read the audiobooks. You know what I mean? Like, it's just no, there's no surprise and mystery about where Cordelia's at. That's true. Will tells everyone to go talk to everyone on the list. Um, and then they all branch out. Write neatly and label your worksheets. <laughs> Will then interrogates Jonathan in the library. And the way that she phrases this is very interesting. She says that we all have fantasies. Um, and then she kind of paints this picture of a fantasy of people paying attention to someone. And then he's like very lost. <laughs> this feels a lot like the interrogation she had with him in Go Fish too. Yeah. I love how she just like naturally goes towards Jonathan all the time. Oh, my word. I feel like this is Willow kind of projecting in this moment, um, especially after she was talking about Buffy not needing her. I think there is a part of Willow that really wants to be noticed and really wants to have some control. But I think it's a good question, though. For somebody who might like mash you, you know? maybe like simplify it a little bit. Jonathan's like, maybe make I don't it a little bit more direct. About. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like the way that Oz kind of explains it is really good. He goes to that basketball dude on the courts and you ask him about like the strain of responsibility and ask him how how much of a strain he feels and he goes, um, moderate strain. Is that good? I want to get this right. Uh, it's all stressed. <laughs> it's like scared that if he makes the wrong like answer that they're all going to like come down on him. Or that everyone's going to read it in school. So he's probably like, I got to make sure I sound good. Well, no, guys. The question that he's being asked, create a false persona for yourself of the guy who does everything right. And how much of a strain does that put on you to maintain it? So the guy saying moderate strain and being like, I want to get this right is showing that it's actually like way more of a strain because he really does want to be seen as perfect. Oz is like, yeah, that's good. He doesn't really he's care. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. And then Cordelia walks into the classroom. She's like, hi, Mr. Beach. I was wondering if you're going to kill a bunch of people tomorrow. Oh, it's for the yearbook. And she tilts her head inside. <laughs> oh, my word. Then Sander goes up to the cafeteria. Not even doing the assignment, man. Oh, no, no. Not to the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. He's, in, he's in the hallway and he goes completely off script. <laughs> he's like, all right, lady, was, what's your idea for the perfect romantic evening? And I was Katie, like, okay, let's I, start with you. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> I will say that was funny. He's just like not even focusing on a literal murder that could be in the like building. Oh, um, funny. Everyone talks about how shallow Cordelia is. And I'm like, hello, at least she's actually like doing the best she can to find the murderer. Xander is like over here doing like romantic quizzes and getting distracted by Jello. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. In uh, the editor's room, Oz walks in um, and he can't find Freddie, but he notices all the newspapers on the wall with like the really eerily written <laughs> titles. One of them's like <laughs> apathy on the rise. No one cares. Depression linked to school. <laughs> linked to school. Honestly, though, dropouts find happiness. <laughs> oh, and then he leaves, and you can see Freddie underneath the desk. That's a very good red herring, I will say. Mm -hmm. Um, and we go back to Buffy's room. Buffy's hearing a ton of people think, and it's getting overwhelming for her. She's trying to sleep. And did you guys hear one of 
over the mass of people's thoughts in the street, I heard like a male say, I can't believe I'm going to get away with this. I'm like, oh, is someone yeah, cheating she- on somebody? That's yeah. so awful. Well, because the wife says, look at him smiling like he thinks I don't know about her. And the husband says, she doesn't know a thing. I can't believe I'm getting away with this. Oh, I didn't even hear those ones. Oh. Yep. Yep. Freaking loser. She actually knows. (laughs) Most of the time, the girls know. (laughs) And then back in the library, you can see Giles really slaving way into the books. And Wesley comes up. He's like, well, this seems to be coming along all right. He's like, yes, Buffy's being driven mad. We have no proof this is going to (laughs) work. And it still requires the heart of the second demon, which we have no idea how to get without the Slayer. Wesley has really – Wesley has not learned to just close his mouth. Like, he just really has not learned that skill. He's like, negative thinking doesn't solve anything. Gosh, who is going to do this? All right. I am all for women's empowerment. I love it when a girl can take care of herself, but I'm also a sucker for a man protecting his woman. And this That's scene- a very uh, popular <laughs> idea. <laughs> like, I'll follow all these things like on um, TikTok. It's like all these feminists and like they'll say the exact same thing. They're like, I'm all for girls kicking butt and not needing a man. They're like, but the troop of a man fighting girl in the rain and carrying her into a <laughs> Um, cue sense sensibility. They're like, oh, we're here for that one, though. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's out there like fighting this demon, and he's the best person to do it because the demon can't read his mind, which is why it's been able to defeat most everybody else or can anticipate what their next movements are going to be. Also, it just like it's really interesting because I think Angel is doing this on his own. I the way the scenes are shot, I don't think that Giles has even thought of Angel. I think that Angel goes out there and fights the demon and then goes to Giles and says, hey, I I have the thing or whatever. It's just really interesting. But anyway, it's really hot. Don't mind me. I really love this episode with Angel and Buffy. He's just – he's extra sexy to me. Sarah, you're a married woman. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's a fictional character. Um, and then in the classroom, you see that Willow is interrogating Nancy. She's like, do I often think classmates are spying on me and therefore acting suspiciously? <laughs> and Willow's like, right. She's like, well, not till just now. <laughs> Fair. And then we have the whole uh, school lounge, I don't know, cafeteria. I don't know where that even would be located in the school. I know. Their cafeteria is kind of fire. Like I think about it, I'm like, I wish my cafeteria had like couches and like <laughs> – Comfortable chairs and stuff. That'd be nice. It's not the cafeteria. It's the student lounge area. So they have like tables and couches and stuff like that. It's just like to kind of hang out or whatever, which I don't know that any school that's not like a rich kid's school I've ever seen has this kind of place. But yeah, so we see Larry again, which again, I'm loving. I'm loving that we have like Jonathan and Larry here to kind of Mm. ground the episode to show that like, remember how Larry's whole thing was he was secretly gay, but now he's actually out and how he's very empathetic now to Xander. I think Larry is an example of someone who has changed for the better because he's learned to like look outside of himself. Um, And I I really love that. I just love the way it starts out. He's like, what? Talk louder, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Because Xander's like mumbling. (laughs) And then he like mentions he's like he mentions Freddie again. They kind of like revert back to Freddie again. He's like maybe he can put out like a a coming out announcement for you, make it tasteful, <laughs> nice tasteful coming out <laughs> <Yeah>. announcement. <laughs> and then back in Buffy's room, Giles comes. It's mom um, and dad. 
Angel storms in with the heart liquid and forces Buffy to drink it while he kisses very, her Very, very sexily took off that blanket, that steaming blanket. <laughs> Sarah, jeez. <laughs> Sarah's I'm sorry. Really we know why this episode is Sarah's <laughs> Well, I mean, that's definitely an aspect of it. I don't know. He just is so sweet and how he's like willing to go out in the sunlight to bring this stuff to Buffy. And then he goes in her bedroom and like feeds it to her. And he's just like so protective on top of the fact that he's like telling her there's only one person I've ever loved. Like, it's just a really, like, I'm like a sucker for really good open communication and then my man going out and slaying a demon for me. Like, what can I say? It's very, this seems very um, specific to only angels. <laughs> it doesn't seem like yeah, a man. that's a very niche, uh, <laughs> what, you uh, don't think- hard thing for Andrew to live up to. <laughs> Poor Andrew. <laughs> you can't tell me that doesn't just warm your heart when you watch him going in there trying to save Buffy. Well, warm heart and being turned on are two very different things, I feel. I'm not saying I'm turned on. I'm just saying I can say something is objectively hot without being like, oh, I'm turned on with it, you know? Okay. I never really noticed the clock tower until this episode. I was like, That's because – it never existed until this episode. Uh, it makes sense. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. They they built it just for this episode. <laughs> this reminds me of I think it's a monk episode that someone's someone gets murdered in a clock tower and someone sees it down Everything below. is a monk episode. <laughs> There's so many episodes, so many different ways people die. That or I don't think it was psych. It was one of those one of those uh detective shows. Buffy sees or we see Jonathan take out a gun and load it up in the the clock tower. Then Buffy wakes up in her room and Joyce asks if she can hear anything and she says no, thank goodness. Back in the the class office, they interrogate Freddy. They're thinking that he is like the killer and he's like, um, no, I thought this was about the review. And he says, he gives the paper to Oz and Oz reads it and it says, Dinko eat my baby played their instruments as if they had plump Polish sausages taped to their fingers. He's like, sorry, man. And Oz is like, no, no that's fair. fair. <laughs> Oz is unfazed by anything. Yeah, well, he was just talking about, I think it was in Doppelganglin. He's like, we only know three three chords and we can't even do that well or something. Like Oz is just very, very uh, objective about his abilities to play guitar. Also, shout out to Cordelia's hair because it is amazing Beautiful. this episode. It is gorgeous. Um, I like the – I feel like this episode is so well written because I feel like the way that we find out about Jonathan is a very organic way because he has a bunch of like mail that people write in for topics to put into papers, right? And we hear that through Larry. We hear that through inner thoughts and just people talking about Freddie in general. And I like that Cordelia picks up one of the pieces and reads it and it's from Jonathan and it's very much sounding like a suicide note to us. Mm -hmm. Um, But from their perspective, it sounds like he's going to kill people. They split up again. Um, Buffy goes into the courtyard and she sees Jonathan all the way up in the clock tower and he's in like plain view. I don't know how people don't see him. I yeah I think I think that's the point though I think everybody is so preoccupied with their own pain and what's going on with them that they just he don't kind even, of fits in the that's background. That's true. Yep, that's kind of the whole. That's the also point of the if whole we've thing. never noticed the clock tower, I'm pretty sure no one else has really <laughs> noticed the clock tower. <laughs> yeah, I remember being totally shocked the first time I saw this episode because Buffy's always worked in the shadows in graveyards, and when she uses her power to like this extent, the fact that she runs 
up the ramp and then jumps onto the roof with all of her classmates watching. I was like, holy crap, there goes yeah. her secret identity. It feels right? like a big moment that's like not talked about enough. Well, and it's also just the fact of like usually stuff happens at night. Like Buffy doesn't really need to be that active during the day. Like she can kind of do it in secret, but there's, there's never been a threat like – during the day, during school hours that she couldn't really hide. That shot of her running up the side of the stairs is one of my favorites ever. It's just really cool, especially when you pan back and see all of her classmates around her. Like it's just a really great picture of Buffy protecting and serving the community and those around her. I like that they put that in there, kind of like what you were saying too, Sarah, only because as viewers, we don't know how much the other students notice Buffy doing all these things. Right. And so I feel like for us, we're like, whoa, this is out in the open. But the fact that everyone just kind of looks at it and then looks away, you're like, yes. interesting. There's been hints that they actually know a little bit more yeah. than they're letting on. So it's kind of like, how much of this do they already are they already aware, you know? Yep. Also, Johnny Boy, a sniper rifle. Not to be graphic, but it is very, very hard to actually kill yourself I with a rifle say, because yeah. you can't pull the trigger. Uh, yeah. I wish it was something smaller so it'd be believable that it was suicide, but I know they're trying to misdirect, but I was like, it has to be something that works for both. Well, but I also think that it's partially Jonathan's lack of knowledge. I don't yeah. think that he really – like. I really think you can look at it as Jonathan doesn't know what he's doing. He's not really thinking of anything. It's very much like a, I'm in pain. I don't really care. I'm not thinking about it. I just want to get it over with. Yeah, maybe it was like a, a parent's hunting rifle was the closest weapon he could get to. So Buffy breaks into the clock tower – and he says with just pain in his voice to get away from him and says, don't try and stop me. And he's like, you think I won't use this? And she's like, I don't know, Jonathan. And he says, stop doing that. Stop saying my name like we're friends. Y'all think I'm an idiot. Go away. Never gonna happen. You think I won't use this? I don't know, Jonathan. I just... Stop doing that. Doing what? Stop saying my name like we're friends. We're not friends. You all think I'm an idiot. A short idiot. I don't. I don't think about you much at all. Nobody here really does. Bugs you, doesn't it? You have all this... Pain, all these feelings, and nobody's really paying attention. You think I just want attention? No, I think you're up in the clock tower with a high-powered rifle because you want to blend in. Believe it or not, Jonathan, I understand about the pain. Oh, right. Because the burden of being beautiful and athletic, that's a crippler. You know what? I was wrong. You are an idiot. My life happens to, on occasion, suck beyond the telling of it. Sometimes more than I can handle. And it's not just mine. Every single person down there is ignoring your pain because they're too busy with their own. Beautiful ones. Popular ones. The guys who pick on you. Everyone. You could hear what they were feeling. Loneliness, the confusion. It looks quiet down there. 
It's not. It's deafening. You know, I could have taken that by now. I'd rather do it this way. Such a powerful moment. I really like how they choose to do it because I think that suicide is such a painful and such a sensitive topic. But I really like how the way that Buffy does it is saying, yes, you're in pain. Yes, I see it. But also like kind of pointing it to being like, you know, the world is in pain. People are in pain every day. It's a, it's a struggle and it's a fight. And I love that she does it with such kindness and such grace. I have mixed emotions about this speech. I have to remember that both Buffy and the viewer think that Jonathan wants to kill everyone, not that Jonathan's going to commit suicide. That's kind of um, something we learned last minute. I do think Buffy's speech works in both situations. It works whether or not he's trying to commit suicide or he's trying to kill others. Um, I think Buffy's a little bit harder on him because she thinks that he's trying to kill others, not just himself. Um, but I think what it comes down to, and Passion of the Nerd talks about this, I think this scene is too short. I think it needed a little bit more. I think um, Passion of the Nerd talks about how Buffy should have used maybe some of her own personal experiences to relate with him more. Um, to me, I feel like the scene needs a little something else. Um, so I have like two gripes with this this episode. And one is the shortness of the scene. But the second thing is I think that the reveal of the lunch lady being the villain or being the one who's trying to kill everyone should not have been played off as comedic, even though it's funny. It's very funny. But I think the tone of the episode should have shifted a little bit after this moment because I think that that whole thing, to me at least, undercuts the little a little bit of the tone. Um, but I think it's also important to note that the point of this speech and of the episode is not necessarily to elicit sympathy for Jonathan, but it's to teach us and Jonathan to have empathy for others, that in doing so, we are able to connect with one another and to not feel shame. So it's I have to remember those things when I'm watching this, this moment. Um, and I'm not in any position to talk about suicide because that's never been something that I've personally struggled with. Um, however, all the comments I've seen from people that talk about this moment, they all seem to be very favorable, especially those that have struggled with suicide in the past. Um, and this is a comment on one, on Passion of the Nerds video, and I thought it was really, really interesting. The user's name is Mort Hempstock, um, and they said this. As someone who tried to kill themselves several times during my teenage years, I understand your doubts regarding Buffy's speech, but disagree. Very few suicide attempts are done with absolutely zero hopes left, and most are done with a momentum. Unless Buffy would have told him to keep going, I think her storming inside the clock tower was enough to stop Jonathan. I also don't think her speech is meant to cure his depression. She broke the momentum, then unsettled him by telling him she thought he was going to harm other people than himself. How much that thought alone can shock and surprise when you hate yourself more than any 
anyone else, and then grounds him a bit by reminding him that everyone is struggling with their own self-hate. Outside of discussing the realism of the scene, I find her speech amazingly comforting and a great reminder when I need it. Every experience with suicide is different, but I do believe an interruption can be powerful. When you think no one is seeing you so much you're willing to take your own life in such a public place, someone seeing you is an out-of-your-world experience. Also, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first episode we, the audience, see Jonathan, really see him. He was a familiar extra before that, but not an individual, which I think ties in so well with the theme of the episode. Um, But I don't know. What did you guys think? Do you guys feel like Buffy was a little harsh on him? Do you think she could have been a little bit more empathetic? Or do you think this episode hit well? I think think from what Buffy knows and from the situation, I think that she's fine. I think if she had known, okay, he's going to take his own life, she would have maybe said a few other things. Um, But I don't think that what she said is incorrect. Yeah, I agree. I think like if someone's struggling to not be seen, I think I agree with whatever that, with that, what that person said, like her running up there and talking to him and giving him this heart to heart is enough for him. Because a lot of people don't get even an ounce of that. And so I think this really helped him. Not, I didn't ever view it as like he's cured. I just viewed it as mm. like there are people that are struggling on themselves. Not everything is about him. Not in a selfish way, but like sometimes we can feel as though we're being targeted a lot of the times, but most of the time it's like people are just hurting. Um, and if you understand from their perspective, not that what they're doing is okay, but it's like not everything is targeted at me. And that gives mm-hmm. people comfort. It's given me comfort in the past. Um, so I see it like that. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember too that the show wrote Buffy's speech to work in this one instance yeah. of suicide. And I think if it were a different type of situation, Buffy probably would have handled it differently. So I think that it's important to see it in that light and not be like, oh my gosh, like she has to be giving a grand sweeping speech that represents everybody who's at that low point in their life. So I have to remember that. But I yeah. mean, it's still a great speech regardless. So we end the episode with Buffy going to the cafeteria. Um, Xander freaking out, finding the rat poison is being poured into the stew. Um, And so he runs around frantically throwing people's plates off. Good for him. Buffy runs in and um, attacks a lunch lady. She says, vermin, you're all vermin. You come here and you eat and eat. And she's like, I don't see this being settled with logic. Obviously, I'm not justifying the lunch lady trying to commit mass murder, but I do want to say we saw this lunch lady in um, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, and I do think it's understandable why she finally snapped and wanted to kill everyone because she's probably been subjugated to spells, to the snakes well, I mean, in the cafeteria. Yeah, it's from Sunnydale. <laughs> she's, she's like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> she's like a bystander. She's like watching it all happen. If you guys watch very closely, the stunt um, yeah, person is clearly a man <laughs> and has like a like a suit underneath to fill out the dress, but the legs are like definitely very different looking. Someone was saying that the stunt person found their aspect of the demon <laughs> for real. Uh, and outside the school, Buffy and Willow are talking. She mentions how she talked to An- Angel, and then he gave her the heart of a demon. How romantic! Giles pops up, and I love that she says that she's been visiting Jonathan. Jonathan's, yes. Mm-hmm, she's been checking yes. in with them other than just that conversation, which is so because sweet. Because I feel like that's the important part. Yes. That it's like that conversation mm-hmm. is – it's one aspect of helping someone in that situation. Mm-hmm. The checking in, the being there for other conversations that might need to happen later on. Like 
I think that that speaks a lot more to Buffy's character. Yeah. I really, really wish we had seen a conversation between Jonathan and Buffy like later on when she goes to visit him or something. Um, I, I just think that would be really cool. But I do think that it it was really good of the episode to include that she did go to see him because like Leah said, that's so important. That follow-up is mm-hmm. what is going to make all the difference in the world. Although I will say her saying, but he's starting to get that look. I'm like, every girl. Yep. <laughs> relate you're like, that. no, no, no. You're, you're reading into this. I'm just trying to be I'm nice. I'm being kind. I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> and oh, just like, word. oh, maybe you should go with him. And she's like, Giles. No. <laughs> yes. Being kind does not mean you have to go to the prom with him. Like, come on. Oh, my gosh. So funny. And then we end with Giles being like, oh, we should train later. And she goes, sure, unless you're too busy having sex with my mother. And he bumps into a tree. So this was not in the script at all. Apparently, Tony had last minute decided to improvise that and they kept it in, which I love. I was reading on a forum where someone said that they went and visited um, the Torrance School and they're like, I touched that tree. (laughs) I may or may not be obsessed with this show. (laughs) Love that. What a good episode. Such a good episode. I feel like it's pivotal for – like it feels like there's enough buildup of the episode that it fits in so well with the season and with where we're going. But it also – it could easily be a standalone episode as well that someone could just go and enjoy um, and and gain a lot from. But ah, I love this episode. It gets better with every rewatch. So good. All right, guys. That was Earshot. We hope that you enjoyed that. Please let us know what you think of the episode. Is it your favorites? Is it one that you don't like so much? Let us know. You guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review our podcast. And we will see you guys next week for the spoilers.